if you want to be forgiven, if you want to replace that fear of alienation with the hope of life, then come to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know that you will be saved because the resurrection proves that you will be forgiven of your sins. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we are going to be this morning, looking at how the resurrection changes everything. And as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that that's a phrase that we often use, right? That we, we find out a piece of information and it changes everything. A couple weeks ago, I was at Scouts and I was talking to uh, our Scout Master and uh, he is a concrete engineer. Um, and he does, uh, well, a lot of stuff with rinker pipes and all, you know, you've driven by all the pipes down there for the bypass that you see that says rinker pipe, you know, he was involved in one way or the other. And so he was telling me about something where they were putting in some pipe and they were putting it in at an airport and it was supposed to be dug, the trench was supposed to be dug to a certain depth and they didn't dig the trench to the correct depth, but they laid the pipe and they put in the gravel, and they put in the dirt, and they paved it. Now, as what usually happens is you find out at the last minute. You don't find out, you know, right after you dig the trench and go, oh, that's not right. Well, nothing is in the ground, and there's no asphalt. Let's go redig the trench. Everything is almost completed. And so he was called on to say, all right, I need you to redo the calculations. I need you to see if the airplane going over is going to crush the pipe or not. And, you know, and he just made a comment there, and he goes, you know, not digging the trench to the right depth, you know, that just changed everything, right? Because that's the mentality that we have. We get a piece of information, and we go, that changes everything. Now, here's the thing. When you stop and think about it, that is a hyperbolic statement, right? Because did that concrete ditch at an airport in Texas change everything? Well, the answer is, is No. It, it really didn't change everything. I guarantee you, until right now, you had no idea that it even happened. Right? So it obviously did not impact your life one little bit. But yet, that was Greg, wasn't it? It was, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we got some, some people coming back. Let, let me just remind you of Baptist decorum. We don't speak when the pastor's speaking. <laughs> No, just, just, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And really, of all mornings, no amen this morning. I might get so excited, and who knows what's going to happen then. But it doesn't change everything. But there, there is, there is one event in the course of human history that, that literally has changed everything. And, and that is Jesus Christ. From his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, the totality of that has changed everything everything. And the world knows it. We still divide time by that, right? 
It is B.C., before Christ, or A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now, there's a lot in that A.D. When you just say A.D., you're implying that the Lord is still living because it's the year of the Lord. It's not after his death. That's not what it means. And some people, though, have said, I don't like the Christian aspect of that, so they call the before Christ B.C.E., before the common era, and A.C.E., after the common era, E.R.A. But it doesn't matter. They are still using... One singular event in the course of human history that changed everything on how they date, date things that have happened in history. The resurrection literally changes everything that we know. It provides for us everything that we need. It meets every longing that we have. And this morning when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is exactly what Paul points out. He begins writing in verse 1, and he's talking about the gospel that he has preached to them. And they get down, and one of the things that he is driving to is that they are arguing against the resurrection of the dead. They don't quite understand the centrality of that concept. And so when he gets to verse 12, that's where he really starts to drive this home. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say, some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If that is true, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. As Paul gets there, you can see there's a, several sentences of but and if-thens. He said, if this happens, then the logical progression is this. And he states them in the negative. He says, if Christ is not risen, then preaching is in vain. Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, then, then we're telling lies. We're false witnesses about who Christ is. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. If there is no resurrection, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then all those who have died, they're still dead. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, then of all people who live on the face of the earth, you are to be most pitied because you believe in a lie and a dead Savior. That is what Paul is writing. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to take those and I want to reword them and put them in the positive of what he is saying and show you that the resurrection really does change everything. And the first thing that he points out is this, is the resurrection guarantees the gospel is true. The resurrection guarantees the gospel is true. Paul writes in verse 14, he says, If he's not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Now, Paul has just spent 15 chapters talking about the gospel and talking about what he is preaching. 
And he says, if there is no resurrection, then everything that I have said to you has been a lie. I'm a false witness. The good news that I proclaim to you is not really good news. There is no good news to believe in a Savior who is still dead. For if a Savior who is still dead, what good can a dead Savior do for you? Paul says, but the resurrection proves that the gospel is true. Now, we need to, to understand how important that that is. When Paul outlines the gospel, when Peter, as we've been studying Peter for weeks now, as they talk about the gospel, they always come back to the resurrection. Because it's central part, right? Sometimes we don't, we don't think about it. We want to get him on the cross and we want to get our sins forgiven, but we don't realize that the resurrection is important too. Paul writes again in Romans 5, I believe it's verse 4, says he was raised for your justification. The resurrection plays a part in the gospel as well. Look at in, in chapter, or chapter 15, the first few verses, as Paul is talking about the gospel, he gets down there and says that he was raised on the third day. When Jesus was on earth and he was talking about what was going to happen, he kept telling them, hey, I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to die and I'm going to be gone, but you're going to see me again. I'm going to be raised again on the third day. Now remember, we've looked at this and the, the, the apostles didn't have a clue that Jesus was teaching this. This didn't make sense to them. Because no one had seen someone come back from the dead. How are you going to die, Jesus, and then raise yourself back from the dead? That, that's not going to happen. Now look, you will hear, and you still do today, that Jesus was a great moral teacher. Of all the things that Jesus could be, the one thing he cannot be is just a great moral teacher. Because he promised the disciples that he was coming back to life after he died. And if that's not true, then he can't be a great moral teacher because he's a liar. And I don't know about you, but I don't look to liars to be a great beacon of morality in my life. All right? Do y'all seek out somebody you know to be a liar to say, hey, I've got this situation going on. What would you do about it? Well, I'm guessing they're going to lie. Right? We don't seek out, seek out liars to guide our lives. So Jesus can't be a great moral teacher because he said he is coming back. And Paul right here writes, look, says the resurrection proves and guarantees that the gospel is true. It absolutely guarantees that. It guarantees what Paul was preaching was true. And while I might not be as articulate as Paul and be able to craft an argument as well as Paul, it guarantees you this morning that as I come to God's Word and read God's Word to you and it says He rose from the dead, it guarantees what you hear this morning is true as well. Not because the source being me, but because of God's Word proclaims that it's true because the resurrection proves it. The resurrection proves that the gospel is true. Secondly, this impacts you because the resurrection guarantees that your faith is correct. It guarantees that our faith is correct. It says, the negative is that your faith is in vain. Now we can say our faith is correct. Our faith is well-founded. You ever put your faith in something that's let you down? Right? Right? Sometimes we have put our faith in a person. 
who has let us down. Right? That, that's, that's happened to everybody. Right? Sometimes we have put our faith in science, and that's let us down. You may have put your faith in politics, and it's let you down. You may have put your faith in an old, rickety wooden ladder that let you down. Right? Or maybe you didn't even get a ladder. You thought, I can just stand on top of the five-gallon bucket, and it let you down. Right? We exhibit faith in so many things in our lives. And a lot of things we exhibit faith in is, is not tangible. I joke about the ladder, right? We had faith this morning that I come in, flipped on the lights, it worked. You had faith this morning when you turned on the stove to cook breakfast, it worked, right? We, we, it, it's faith, but we don't talk about it as faith. We just think, oh, it's modern convenience, right? But our faith in that is well-founded in that the past million times we flipped the light switch, it came on, Right? That's what Peter, excuse me, that's what Paul is writing here this morning. He says, our faith in Jesus Christ is well-founded because of the resurrection. Right? Our, our longing is to know someone and to have someone in our lives who won't let us down. Someone we can count on no matter what is happening around us. Somebody who comes into our lives in the, in the middle of the storm and says, peace, be still. Someone who looks at us and says, here, let me share that burden with you. And what Paul is pointing out to us is that that person who is absolutely trustworthy is Jesus Christ and the resurrection proves that he is absolutely trustworthy. And when we come to know Him as Lord and Savior through saving faith and we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, right? That what? That, that God raised Him up again on the third day. Our faith is well-grounded. He's not going to forget us. He's not going to let us down. And when we go to heaven, He's not going to look at us and go, well, I don't know who you are. I seem to kind of remember your name. I've seen your face before, but I just can't quite remember who you are. We don't have to worry about that because our faith in Him is well-founded. And everything that He has promised us, He will make happen. And we see that as, as He comes and proves it to us through, the resur through His resurrection. Proves His love for us. It proves His power over the, our enemy of death. It proves that we can absolutely count on the One who loved me and gave Himself for me. So the resurrection guarantees our faith is correct. Then third, the resurrection guarantees our sins are forgiven. It says that in verse 17. The negative was that if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Now, I find this really interesting that this wasn't where, where Paul started. Right? This wasn't his first point. This, this was his, his third. And I think as you look at this, it, it kind of understands. Well, this or makes sense. This is our basic need. This is what we need more than anything else. But, but Paul kind of steps back and says, look, We've been preaching this Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. 
we've asked you to place your faith in him. And he says, if, if the resurrection didn't occur, then my preaching is in vain. If the resurrection didn't occur, your faith is in vain. And if those two things are in vain, what it ultimately means then, and this is the heart of the matter, he says, is you're still in your sins. Our sins have not been forgiven. The resurrection is integral in our justification. It absolutely is. And what we need to understand this morning is not that we are sinners. All right, I, I just I find it hard. I, I know that there's still some people who think they're not sinners and, and sin doesn't exist. And, and people a lot of times will say, well, when you're talking to people about the gospel, you've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. And I, I kind of understand what they mean. Right? We, we, we now live in a time of, of moral relativism where there is no absolute morality, where what I deem is right is right for me, and it may not be right for you. But you always come back to that same problem. What I deem is right for me may not be right for you, and you don't like what I deem is right for me until I try to impose it on you. <laughs> and then, like, wait a minute, I don't think I like that definition of morality. You know, for, for there to be morality, there has to be a moral lawgiver. There has to be one, someone who has established moral law and said, this is the law that we're going to live by. Because if there is no moral lawgiver, there really is no morality. If there is no, if there is no person above humanity that says that killing someone else is wrong then there's no reason to have a law against murder. If there's not a moral lawgiver that says stealing is wrong, there's really no reason to have laws against theft. You could say, well, society has decided that that's a good thing. Why? Where, why did society decide one day that that's a good thing? And they have a hard time with the why question. Because moral law presupposes a moral lawgiver. And if there is a moral lawgiver, and there is, then when you transgress that moral law, that makes you a sinner. It, it doesn't matter if you're convicted of stealing, right? You, you go to jail or whatever, and eventually you will get out. The bigger problem is you've transgressed a moral law. And when you transgress the moral law of God, that means you are a sinner and you are now an enemy of Him. And I know this is harsh language. Nobody likes to hear this. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. I, I guarantee you. I've known y'all for 13 years now. If I walk up to you this afternoon after church and go, man, Larry, it's really good to see you, you great big sinner. Larry may love me, but he also might smack me. Because nobody wants... Do you want to be called a sinner, Larry? I mean, I, I'm going to pick on Larry this morning just because that's the only way I can look. <laughs> he says he doesn't mind because he knows Christ. That's a great answer. You're, you're more godly than your pastor. But let's be honest. We don't like it. Now, it's an incredible testimony that Larry just gave that says, I don't mind it because I know Christ. And what Larry said in that point is, is what proves this. 
The resurrection proves that Larry's sins are forgiven. The resurrection proves that my sins are forgiven. The resurrection proves that your sins are forgiven because our moral lawgiver loved us so much that he made a way for us to be saved. And he looked at me and he looked at you and he looked at Larry and he looked at everybody and goes, there is no one that can keep my law perfectly. So what does, what does the loving lawgiver do? The loving moral lawgiver steps out of heaven and out of perfection and out of eternity to take on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. To live a perfect, sinless life for us so that we can be saved. That, that, that's one of the most amazing things about the gospel message. Where it says that God became flesh. And then as we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh go to the cross said that He was made sin for me. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure all my sins would have covered Him. And He died on the cross for my sins, which is an amazing thing. And then... It gets better. He rose from the dead on the third day to make sure that our sins are forgiven. To take away our judgment. The resurrection, and it's not Romans 4, I have it here, it's Romans 4.25. He was handed over to death on account of our transgressions, our sins, and He was raised on account of our justification. He, he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and then he, he, he rose again on the third day to prove and to vindicate the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have of our sins. And this morning, what everybody needs more than anything else is forgiveness of sins. I guarantee you this morning that every single person, believer or unbeliever alike, in those moments that we all have, those, those deep moments where we're, we're, we're thinking about our lives and we're thinking really deeply, we realize that there is a longing for our sins to be forgiven, to be accepted by God. The fear of being alienated from God because of our guilt. And here Paul writes some of the most amazing words. He says, Christ rose from the dead, so you are no longer in your sins. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to replace that fear of alienation with the hope of life, Paul writes, then come to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know that you will be saved because the resurrection proves that you will be forgiven of your sins. Paul continues to write, and he says, the resurrection guarantees eternal life. Verse 13 says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's the negative. He says, because Christ rose again, that we will live with Him forever and ever and ever. Christ was risen to life and He's alive today as He was that third day when He came out of the tomb. And Paul writes that one day that we're, we're going to see Him. We're going to be with Him. We're going to, to live with Him in eternity with heaven where there is no sin, where we don't have to worry about anything that corrupts. You won't have those moments of doubt. 
You won't have those physical illnesses. There will be nothing that defiles heaven. And Paul says the resurrection guarantees that. He's defeated death. He defeated death so that like him, we rise. One day we will rise from the graveyard. Our bodies will be reunited with our souls. And in our glorified, perfected body, we will reign with him for all eternity. I know that I use this at funerals all the time. And it goes back to John 14. Because it was something that I missed for many years. All right, we focus on John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where are you going? I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when you come, where you, when you come I may come and get you and bring you to me. And, and, and where I always made the mistake on that verse, I, I focused on Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And then we, we, we focused on the mansions, right? Right? You, you know, we're going to have that big house. We, we can't wait. And I always missed that middle part until a few years ago when I really saw it. I, I don't know how, I don't remember whose funeral I was preaching. And it just dawned on me that when we die and we go to heaven, that Jesus comes to get us. Now, I, I know that that seems simplistic, and you think, well, Gary, yeah. But the wording of that verse is so special where it says, I myself will come and get you and take you to myself. It, you know, Jesus is going, this is not for anybody else in heaven. This is not for an angel. This is not for a loved one that you love so much that is there waiting for you. Yeah, they'll, they'll be behind Jesus, I'm sure. But the only person who is going to come and bring you into heaven to live with him forever and ever in, all, in eternal life is Jesus, the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. He says, I love you and I want to welcome you home personally. You know, I'd almost think if we weren't be so amazed to see him with our eyes that we fall down and weep before him, that he'd give us a high five and say, see, I told you, your faith was well-founded. And the resurrection guarantees that. But then lastly, while we look forward to eternal life, the resurrection guarantees the life of meaning now. You know, I know one day those who are here this morning, those watching, you know, if you're a believer in Christ, we're, we're going to see Him in heaven and we're, we're going to live with Him and reign with Him for all eternity. However, the promise that the resurrection brings is not just future. It is now. We have a life not to be pitied, right? Because if we followed a dead Savior, we, we, our life would be worthless. It would be, look at that idiot. He believes that some God died for his sins and he's still in the tomb. Here, let me show you the bones. But that's not what Paul writes. He says, because Christ has risen again, we have a life that is meaningful now. We have a life that is valuable, that is valid and is significant now. Every one of us here, everyone watching, we want to have value. We, we, we want to have significance. Nobody, when they die, wants to go, here lies so-and-so who led a greatly insignificant life. We want significance, meaning. 
That's a longing that we have. And Paul writes, the way that you have significance in your life, the way that you have significance in eternity, is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and the guarantee that the resurrection brings that. And because I, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to talk about me, not y'all. I'm going to trans go back in time, hop in the Wayback Machine. I'm not going to tell you how far. <laughs> this little guy walks on the campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You walk on there, and it, it was the, the, the mega church explosion was exploding. You had all of these young preacher wannabes. Yeah, yeah, when I, because we knew that when we graduated, they were going to hand us our sheepskin and we're going to walk into the door of a 5,000 person church. Right? We wanted significance. Right? Everybody talked about the books that they wanted to write. I, I, I still do. Got a book on Galatians I've been trying to finish for three, four years now. I still haven't finished it. Mostly because I'm lazy. We search for significance. You know, I, I, I thought I was going to be significant. I was going to be a, a, a big name in Christianity. Everybody be reading Dr. Gary Sanders and his deep ins, insights. Hey, I got a podcast on every continent but Antarctica. That's something. Right? We all want meaning. I wanted meaning. Still do. I don't want the life that I live now to mean nothing. And the only way for my life now not to mean nothing is not how big of a church I pastor. It's not how many books I write. How many conferences I have spoken at or will speak at. That was a zero, by the way. I'm sure the invitation is lost in the mail. What makes my life significant now, even if, and I'm okay with it, I am never known outside the walls of Red Bank or this area, is who I am in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that makes my life significant. And Paul says, if you know Him as Lord and Savior, then the resurrection guarantees that you have a life that is full of meaning now. It fills that deepest longing that we have. It means that your faith in your life is not in vain. One of the reasons, and there are more than one, but one of the reasons I just I, I don't believe in the theory of evolution that all of a sudden a lightning bolt hit the primordial soup and something oozed out of it and here we are. It's because that makes you a cosmic mistake. You are nothing more than an accident. You are nothing more than amino acids and proteins that somehow figured out to come together out of the soup to a slug, to a lizard, to a bird, to something that looks like an ape, to something that looks like a man to you today. And when you die, it doesn't matter. 
because you are a mistake. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you're not a mistake. You have purpose and you have meaning. And your purpose and your meaning and your significance is invaluable and eternal. And Paul says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees you life, meaning, here and now. The resurrection, when Christ was raised from the dead, He forgives us of our sins. He, he, he tells us that we can fully count on Him, that the guidance from His Word and the truth of Jesus crucified and risen again is true. He gives us a, a, a life of, that will never end, but be one to be defined as everlasting joy forever and ever. And He gives us a life that is enviable here and now because we belong to Him. This morning, the resurrection changes everything. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.